everybody. Welcome back to the 22nd episode of the Socially Distanced Podcast. Yes, for 22 weeks, two dads obsessed with pop culture have turned their Facebook conversations of the last six to seven years into a podcast. And we thank you for coming on this journey with us. My name is Bill Bodkin, your wonderful, darling, gray-bearded host. I totally ripped that off from another podcast. Totally fine. Uh, I am the editor-in-chief of thepopbreak.com, and like I am every single week, I am joined by the very reluctant, always tired, managing editor of thepopbreak.com, Al Manorino. I don't know how you're awake right now. Father of a one-year-old trying to move. It's hot. We're in a pandemic. How are you surviving? Oh, man. The, the way I'm surviving... Uh, is uh, is actually a spoiler for my watch list this week. Uh, I've been watching a lot of American Pickers. American Pickers. Yeah. Hey man, it's great. Sh- you know great what? Show. Never watched it, but you know what? At this point, whatever gets you through. That's right. It's whatever That's gets right. you through. Not actually you doing any of the things that I'm supposed to be doing. I'm like, assuming your wife is doing that. Oh, of course. You know, packing the house, getting ready to move. Uh, applying for jobs. No, it's it's mostly been American Pickers based kind of kind of week for me. That's kind of like when I was unemployed when my my daughter was first born. You know, not a lot of stuff done around the house. Not a lot of job applying. A lot of Anthony Bourdain though. I'm talking mm. no reservations. Talking the layover. I celebrated his entire catalog. But Al, we have a very special guest this week. No, it's not. Yeah. Rock and roll luminary Tommy Siegel with the most beautiful mustache in the world. Thank you again, Tommy, for joining us last week. No, he's coming to us from the field of dreams after a heartbreaking experience of not being in the band St. Lucia. His name is Christian Bischoff. What's up, buddy? Gentlemen, it's an honor and a pleasure, as always, to speak with you. Uh, And what a joy it is to be here on this podcast with the two of you. Christian is a longtime writer of the site, uh, most famously known for his interview with uh, just about to break out Phoebe Bridgers, uh, previewing her show right before she came to the Asbury Lanes, a venue she probably will be playing for for like 25 years again. But he did that, of course, also Atlas Genius and a number number of other bands, one of my favorite writers that ever grace a site. And I knew need to talk to you about something I need written up one day, one of these days. Uh, but how are you holding up in all this? Like you're in the middle of a cornfield um, or I don't know, is it corn or potatoes in Idaho? That's Idaho is the potatoes. Idaho is potatoes. Uh, Bill, indeed, this podcast is happening right in the middle of peak corn sweats season. Now, I don't know if either of you know what the corn sweats are. No, this but I want to know. I, I want to know. Yes. I mean, it, this this was a phenomenon I was uh, very new to when I moved here last year. The corn sweats are so deep in the summer uh, when the heat really comes on in Iowa. All of the surrounding corn, which there is, there is indeed uh, quite a bit of it releases its moisture at once. And so the humidity increases about a million percent. And so uh, being in Iowa right now is like living in an oven. uh, And every moment I'm here, I want to die. That should be the state state motto. (laughs) That's the name of the episode is the corn sweats. (laughs) I, I, I mean, like, I thought it was something to do with, like, 
I don't know, eating a lot of corn at this time. You know, it's like nope. the meat sweats, but no. no wow. For, for miles around, if you drive outside of Iowa City for miles and miles around, it's all cornfields. And every individual stalk of corn is releasing all of its moisture into the air, making it that much more humid. And let me tell you, what a terrible place to be at this point in time. <laughs> wow. But, I mean, I guess oh, the man. question is, how does the corn taste? Because, I mean, in New Jersey, we, we've got some good corn to throw really on the, corn. the barbecue, during a barbecue. Uh, is it good? That, that's a great question, Bill, that I, unfortunately, will not be able to answer today or ever. In fact, I boycott Iowa corn because of the intense physical and emotional pain it causes <laughs> during the summer months. <laughs> oh, God. Ah, man, I don't even know if we should even talk about anything else but corn. Yeah, I, I would. Uh, because, you know, there might be some listeners who don't give a shit about corn. <laughs> I know, but at the same time, we're educating the people about the corn sweats. I just feel like it's it's very important um, that people know about this before they move out to the Midwest. I didn't know. And if I had known, indeed, I would not be here today. Wow. How are you? Um, how are you like spreading the gospel of of of, of the corn sweats, or or the complete opposite? How how are you warning you know uh, you know people maybe just visiting Iowa for the first time? Yeah, I mean, so I, I guess it's, it's twofold, right? When people ask me how Iowa is, I send them the the little gif of the dog in hell, the "This is fine" dog. <laughs> um, and yeah. it's just a photo of the actual temperature of Iowa City at this point in time. Uh, for people who are already here, I direct them to the one and one half restaurants that have any sort of palatable food. Um, all corn based. All corn based food. Um, and I say good luck to you. Yeah, you you um, you told me uh, off off pod about how bad the, the, the food is there and that you cannot you can't find anything remotely uh, good. And uh, how is that possible? Like humanly? I it's mean. quite difficult. I think, you know, I so there's a lot of like what you would consider classic American food, but when you realize um being part of a sheltered East Coast milieu like the like the three of us are milieu. is really actually East Coast oh. East Coast food. For example, um two houses down from me is the most famous pizza parlor in Iowa City. Oh god. Uh Paley Eyes, and it is uh disgusting. It is the it is a saltine covered in sauce with cheese on it and they are frozen and served to you reheated and it is among the worst things i've eaten uh, and that is the most famous pizza in town which what's, was what's, not a good introduction to the city um what's it called so, again? yeah my, uh paley eyes but the g is silent oh my god uh uh yeah so Oof. Well, Christian, you've come a long way from me pouring beers down your throat at uh, the Mumford & Sons Gentlemen of the Road Festival in Seaside Heights. Um, I don't know. I would say my life has gone terribly wrong since then. I hope yeah. to return to that place. Yeah, I, I was just about to say. And if anyone doesn't know, Christian and Al are cousins in real life. That's how I know I know them. And Wow. Let's get your mind off shitty pizza. And yeah. let's get into something. Um, Al, I hope you're taking some notes. Uh, I am. Called, seriously, what the fuck? What the actual fuck? 
are seriously what the fuck this episode is kind of a very broad and uh, multifaceted type what the fuck because well it's a pandemic and everything is weird and multifaceted these days a few weeks ago it was announced that disney would not be uh, would be uh, well they would be showing mulan it wouldn't be really going to theaters it would be going to disney plus so if you're subscribing to disney plus you're like yes cool I can see this movie, and I know it pays $6.99 a month plus tax. Wrong. You will be paying $30 for this. Now you could watch it as many times as you want. Great. Um, so, guys, let's start with this first. Christian, since you're our esteemed guest, $30 for Mulan. First off, were you even interested in seeing Mulan? The live action adaptation, I should say. Um, absolutely. My understanding of the live action Mulan is that it would be a closer, uh, it would be an adaptation of the original Chinese myth and a, a much more true to the story adaptation than the original um, cartoon version. I was very interested in seeing um, the narrative gap that would be filled uh, in the absence of Mushu, mm-hmm. um, which is voiced by Eddie Murphy. 30, of course, of course, lest we forget. Uh, but indeed, thirty dollars is quite a steep price. It, it, it is far more than I would pay to see it, uh, both in theaters uh, and at any special event. In fact, even I think it would be more than an IMAX ticket. Um, I, I have a lot of very strong feelings about it, but I, but I'm happy to pass the torch to Al, who is who is maybe more familiar with Disney Plus than I am. I I do not have the service. Thirty dollars seems like quite a bit. So so Al. We're you and I are a little different from Christian, uh, and the fact we are both married and have a have a child. Mm-hmm. Now, an argument has been made pro Disney, saying like, "Well, this is pretty much what you would pay if you and your family were going to see this movie in theaters." So, how do you feel about this price point? Do you agree with that argument? As as a father, I agree on on the price point, mostly because you know the way you just explained. Families, when they go to see a movie, uh, you know, the average nuclear family of mom or mom, 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 dad, dad, dad could could be anyone. I know it doesn't have to be an actually average nuclear family. I'm kind of losing my mind here. Um, hey, man, we we here at the Socially Distanced Podcast. If you're a family and you love each other. Yeah. It doesn't matter how it's made up. Let's just try this again. Minimum of four people are going to, you know, three to four people are going to the movies if you have you know, like two kids, right? Sure. Four. You, that's like, and like 50 bucks without even like sneaking in candy, like 50 bucks just to get into the theater. So you think, all right, well, I don't have to go die of uh, COVID-19. Big um, selling point. Big selling, huge selling point. Um, I don't have to be, you know, in, in, in an enclosed room with people who are probably not obeying masks uh, guidelines, mm-hmm. you know, and you don't have to uh, drive to the theater. You don't have to, you know, buy popcorn or um, some places pay for parking. So really, I would think so. Probably in the city. Yeah, I mean, very true. Driving. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. So, or in a city, not Iowa City. Not Iowa City. Definitely. No. You just park in the corn. Absolutely not. Take a, take up. There, there are no cars here. Only tractors. And first take off, a, you would not be able to park in the corn. They will shoot you if you heard the corn. Uh, that's true. Yeah. And that's called stand your ground, and that is legal. That's amazing. We yeah. just got way political on the spot. I love it. <laughs> love it. 
Also, we said nuclear family and milieu in one podcast. We are right. cooking with gas. You know you have a grad student on the, on the other side. Yeah, and someone who watched American Pickers and they mentioned the word nuclear family. <laughs> That's why I love you, Al. That's why I love you. Yeah, I mean, you spend a minimum $50, right? I think the, the average household uh, mm-hmm. owner or d- decipher of what gets played in the house would be like, all right, well, I'm – it would be $20 to go wait and buy the movie on a physical release or rent it when, um, you know, when it comes out on iTunes, which also doesn't exist. Like, I'm, this is crazy how many, like, dated references I'm making. Uh, oh, yeah, whatever. That's right. There's no iTunes. Yeah, iTunes. No iTunes. So, 30 bucks is, it makes sense. $30 for, you know, Christian in Iowa. Uh, by himself on on you know on a Friday night because there's nothing to do. That's pretty expensive if you're already paying you know eight dollars ten dollars a month for the service anyway. It almost seems kind of strange if you're paying for a service of some sort that it did it wouldn't be just included right mm-hmm. and it would be a you know it'd be a way for people to uh, come in as a new subscriber like uh, just like Hamilton what we've discussed many times on this podcast. So I'm going to use that argument. And another argument. Um, now, your son is one and change. My daughter is five and a half. And I look at this and I am someone who spent $20 to watch Trolls World, World Tour and then spent another $10 to watch it four months later. Spent $20 to watch Scoob. But $30 for a non-animated film, for a film, like Christian said, that is going to dip into the original text of Mulan to me is not exactly a family film. This is, uh, I think leans towards an older child, maybe between the nine to nine and up. I'll say maybe a mature nine, uh, because this has a lot of, you know, historical epic qualities to it. I've watched many historical epic in my time and I don't know how much of an appeal it has to, the younger audience. So is that really that $30 price tag? Listen, I understand what it costs to make this film, but, and I understand that this format of having a subscription and playing, paying a premium price, which is something ESPN plus did on a match, a fight I talked about off air, uh, Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. If you had an ESPN Plus subscription, which you paid X amount of dollars for a month, it wasn't that expensive, but then you had to pay $60 for a fight, which is a lot of money. But what a lot of people have done is bars would sign up for this. This is where I saw the fight. You charge X, you know, five bucks per cover uh, per person and you're good. Or if you're home, you have a lot of people to see a boxing match. That is an event you bring people to. Okay. Maybe not in COVID era. But pre-COVID era, when that fight aired in February, made sense. Mulan, the live-action adaptation, to me, I'm just like, this is an odd movie. This is an odd flex, as the kids would say, to have this be so expensive for a film I don't know how many people it appeals to. This is not Beauty and the Beast with Hermione and Dan Stevens. I forgot her name, so I just called her Hermione. Sorry. Like Alex. <laughs> But you remember Dan Stevens. I love well, him. because <laughs> if if I didn't remember Dan Stevens, Kelly McGovern, our close I, friend, I, no, I she, would well, first off, we Kelly, ha- Kelly trumps you. 
You know this. She trumps me, too. I know. I know you do, but Kelly trumps both of us. And um, much like Cat and Cole, they trump us. And um, true story. It doesn't have that appeal of being this childlike fantasy. It seems like a more serious film. So to me, I look at that price point and I say, that's a bad move. Now, Christian, you said you had a lot of feelings. The one feeling you told me offline, and I'm just like, don't say that because you know it's a complete BS. Um, what what are these feelings that you have? I want to hear them because I'm sure they'll be way more intelligent and sober than both Al or I because we're um, both I tired. I have no promises about either of those two things, but what I will say right. is I do think the ramifications of this price point are, are very wide reaching. I mean, if the question is, what are you paying for when you go to see a movie in theaters, right? Mm-hmm. And what that should be is the sound quality, the size of the screen, et cetera. It's the facility itself. And how much of that cost is going to the studio, how much of that cost is going towards the actual recording, et cetera. What you're paying here is the equivalent of going to a theater, more or less, and with none of the benefits of going to use the actual facilities, right? The huge investment of the incredibly high quality sound, the high definition streaming video uh, projection. I recently went to, um, I was in LA recently during the, in the COVID era, very bizarre, very bizarre moment. Um, We were trying out for St. Lucia, I get it. I got rejected. We know. Crushing defeat. I'll never recover. Um, but I went to see a drive-in version of uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, seminal film, one of the greatest films of all time. I literally just watched it on TV last week. I mean, per- perfect film. A 10 out of 10. Should have a 1,000% Rotten Tomatoes. I Great. paid less than $30 for two tickets and... The sound quality was amazing. There was food, et cetera. I mean, you are, what you're paying for at that price point is the facilities. And so to say that home viewers are going to pay effectively a similar amount to what they would pay in theaters to see it at home, the real question is, what is that? I think, I think the real question is, what does that mean for the future of movie theaters, even beyond the COVID era, if people are willing to see Trolls World Tour for $20 and they're going to break records and not go into the theaters? Right, and that's uh, tying this in, like I said, multi-layered, is that today it was ruled that uh, New- the governor of New Jersey, Phil Murphy, I know it's local to us, but it does have a lot of global re- uh, United States reach. He had an executive order that movie theaters would not be open. Movie theater chains challenged this in court, and it was as saying it was an um, infringement on First Amendment rights. The courts upheld Murphy's decision. So movie theaters in New Jersey, at least, will not be opening. So, how got, I'll start with you. If this works for Disney+, Plus, if this makes bank, much like Trolls World Tour, although I haven't heard the numbers on Scoop, I know Trolls World, World Tour was, like, the first. And that made, like, easily over $100 million. On VOD, if Mulan works, what's your opinion on how this impacts movie theaters going forward? Correct me if I'm wrong, Bill. I, uh, I'm sure you, I might. Sure, you might. But um, I believe it was like last week or within the last couple weeks about like a, a historic ruling. Yes, where... it's the Paramount rule. Correct. So, so the Paramount rule uh, was a long time. <clears throat> I will try and do this the best I can without reading. 
Paramount rule basically outlawed block booking, which was basically studios saying, hey, if you want Blockbuster X, you have to book all our other movies. And no, sorry. You're you're thinking a couple – I think you're thinking a little further back. The one I'm thinking of is the, the ability for studios to own uh, actual same, movie theaters. Same ruling. That is the same rule. So it's block booking. It. It's Got also it. places like – it's also prevented – uh, studios from owning movie theaters and just showing their films. Like, so, for example, now the Paramount uh, ruling has been out um, struck down by the Supreme Court of the United States. SCOTUS to some. Um, Disney could buy out a movie theater chain and say, yeah. especially now, probably get it on cheap and say, guess what? It's only Disney movies here, and we're not yeah. playing anybody else. Now, in some articles, my wife, who's an attorney, read it. So the big movie head. Now, supposedly they're going to do a scout's honor type thing, and this isn't going to happen. But this ruling wasn't struck down for people to play by scout's honor, in my opinion. You're going to see Amazon, who's already bought some independent theaters. You're going to see Disney, and you're going to see some of these other places buy out movie theater chains, and it's just going to be their films, in my opinion. And that's what I think. So you have this new thing, and... Uh, when I, I did a wrestling podcast recently with um, Johnny Rawls, our uh, wrestling editor who just uh, got promoted to be film and TV editor over at Substream, he was, and I were talking about this, and he said, yeah, this, this could impact studios like A24 and Neon, who have done very, very well in national movie chains. They could be blocked. However... The flip side of that is if Mulan and other films do really super well on VOD, do they need to go to movie theaters? Yeah, I think, you know, the reason I even brought it up was to say that, you know, if Disney has the ability to buy theaters, they can spend, you know, an incredible amount of money, you know, buying Disney theaters or Marvel theaters or Star Wars, whatever they want to do. They can they can do whatever they want. Of course. They're, you know, they'll they they'll they can make their own rules. They can make, you know, uh, going to the theater, you know, a season pass like Disney world. Right. And then, um, make, you know, make the on demand viewing experience, you know, they can set the price point for it because they've basically got everyone, uh, uh, you know, monthly payment just for tuning in to, you know, the free content, but then they can start adding more of this premium content, uh, you know, next day, you know, day, Day in day of uh, the next Avengers movie is available through our platform, but it's you know it's fifty dollars, right? And it's only on two devices, whatever. Like they can set the price point for however they want. That's what I'm a little worried about because that will really you know fuck up the uh, the the movie theater going experience uh, for smaller you know independent films, independent studios, and just like you know all the Oscar movies. Uh, you know, or eighty percent of the Oscar movies every year—a uh, made-up statistic by me—they're <laughs> they're, they're pretty small, uh, smaller movies. Many, in many of them are. Yeah, and the reason that people get to see them in theaters is because the buzz that is drawn from you know uh, showing in select cities at these you know boutique theaters. So it's going to be pretty interesting. You know, movie theaters being shut down what's in your, some locations like New Jersey. Christian, what's your thoughts on what uh, on everything Al just posited right there? And yes, I use the yeah. word posited. 
because you're on this podcast. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I do think winter will be an extremely telling time in the future of movies and movie going. I, I do think there is a really large movement right now towards outdoor movies. It's happening in Iowa City. It's happening in L.A., uh, New Jackson, Jersey. New Jersey, my former home. Rest in power, Jackson, New Jersey. Um, they uh, just opened an online, uh, a drive-in movie theater um, for the first time, I believe, which is very exciting for them. I um, need to look that up immediately. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm 85% sure. Um, but outdoor movie doing is happening and is happening in a very strong way um, in places throughout the country. And that is happening as a stand-in for indoor movie theaters. Um, but what that means in the long term for movie going, it's, it's, it's really unclear. Um, I don't know. I do, I do think that these boutique firms like A24 um, and the like are facing the challenge. And I mean, it, it is also a question of how these films are made, right? Because all of these movies are made right now with the theater experience in mind. And the minute that changes, we're going to see a change in the way that film is made. Yeah, I agree. Because you, you think about a Star Wars film, or we just were announced uh, we're doing another Tron movie with Jared Leto, which Anthony Toto definitely wanted to talk about on the podcast we had him on a few weeks ago, but we didn't get a chance. Um, those films are designed for these big, like IMAX releases or Dolby surround sound, like super, you know, like a Quentin Tarantino, like, you know, doing it in certain millimeter type films, like 70 millimeter films, him and uh, Peter Jackson did one. Uh, um, so one of the Hobbit films, 70 millimeter, which I definitely saw one of those. And you're not going to see that because TVs are not built that way. And so, yeah, that's a very interesting way of putting that. And, and now going off something you were saying too, is like, there is like almost a Christian, this is going to play into a little what you were saying, but in a different way is a bit of a hostage situation. Because imagine this. You're a, a family. It's a low-income family. Your kids love Marvel movies. And you could go on a night that's cheaper. Or you could wait a few weeks for it to be, you know, a little less in every theater. You could pay a little bit less. Maybe go for a matinee for a cheaper ticket price. What happens if across the board to see the new Marvel movie it's fifty bucks and it's gonna be fifty bucks for four months? You're a low income family. Right now, look at the unemployment rate in this country. Look at how many people are fighting for rent. Look at all this stuff. I can't see this movie for cheap because I now have to pay fifty bucks for it or whatever price point this company says. That's a scary thought. Because there are theaters that are cheaper theaters you can go to, discount theaters, wherever you want to call them. Yeah, it's a scary thought. Because now corporations are now holding these movies at a price point. And if Mulan hits at 30 bucks, what's to say the next one won't be 50 Now, if Mulan tanks, I think we then see a price point reduction. Because it's like, okay, that tanked. We can't charge that much. We'll go lower. But... My next question to you guys would be, there's a, you know, um, Tenet will be uh, supposedly be released in theaters. It's a movie I desperately want to see. Al, you definitely want to see. Christian, I'm going to assume you definitely want to see. Yes, indeed. What's the price point you're willing to go? 
Christopher Nolan is one of my favorite directors. He did one of my favorite movies of all time in Inception. Al, I know you love him. What's the what's the what's the point where you say I can't do this? I can't spend this on a movie. Al, I'm going to go with you because a few uh, maybe a month ago, a few weeks ago, you were like, you know, I'll go brave a movie theater and all this to go see Tenet. Yeah, and I mean, it goes back to wanting to see, you know the things that people are really buzzing about. Obviously a Marvel movie we people know by now I'm a big comic book fan is something that gets me at the earliest showing possible. Right. And Tenet is the, the same way. A Christopher Nolan film is going to get me in the theater opening night or, you know, whenever I can possibly see it earliest time possible. I, I mean, that's a movie that you invite, a bunch of friends over and you see it um, for 30 bucks. I mean, that makes sense. That price point, that movie, if you, if you don't want to brave your, uh, if you don't want to, you know, do what God says, God being Christopher Nolan <laughs> and see this movie in IMAX or see this in the theater experience, like he uh, put his blood, sweat and tears into. If I'm legally not allowed to go see it, and it's coming out that weekend. I, I'm gonna have to, you know, do uh, whatever I can. I'll, uh, you know, the Warner Brothers, uh, HBO Max would probably be doing the same thing if they were smart. You know, and and it just goes back to Disney is testing the waters, right, with Mulan. And you know, I think they were probably better suited testing the waters with Hamilton. I, I've been saying that that was such a weird move on their part for bringing. Um, for yeah, I, making I, Hamilton yeah, Hamilton for free. For free, because we for talked free. about this before. Like I was like, oh, this makes sense because it'll bring more subscribers in the long term to yeah. Disney Plus. This is way before Mulan was announced. Now you see Mulan's coming, you're like, you just gave Hamilton away for free. And how many subscribers you got for that? Yeah. Think about how long it's going to take for a okay, say it's seven twenty five. Per month with tax. Let's just say that number. That takes a couple months to accrue to thirty dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm, so it's like you now like set this weird precedent of a a film that you know it brought subscribers. It was free, but now you're asking people for thirty bucks. You know, I mean, it, Disney can get to the point, like get to Disney should should get to a point where when the movie industry is back up and running like full swing you know they're just pumping out as much content as humanly possible which they've already kind of been doing mm-hmm. you've introduced disney plus you introduce an amazingly low price point per month for the amount of content that we are given yeah. mandalorian being just worth it alone and the entire animated catalog which was vaulted for years and yeah know, yeah like everything was super rare to get on tape or dvd yeah exactly and the, this um Studio Ghibli, Ghibli, Ghibli. Ghibli. Studio Ghibli, uh, all those like the they poured everything into day one. Just it was kind of a weird and unorganized uh, launch. Mm-hmm. That's besides the point. What I'm trying to say is they can get to a point where okay, well, you know, if you enjoy Disney Plus and all the uh, all that we have to offer at this price point, uh, nothing's going to change for you. You could still pay that same amount. In fact, we'll make it a dollar cheaper. Why are you doing this? Well, we're also going to be offering a $25 a month. And 
each month you get a movie that would be in theaters right to your, um, you know, to your favorite device. Now, that makes more sense. Make a premium membership, charge people that amount per month instead of this, this one movie and give them a little more like extra bang for their buck. I think I'd be I'd gladly drop another subscription yeah. service if I can upgrade to this Disney, you know, squared, whatever the fuck you want to call it. And I can see a Marvel movie, you know, or a Star Wars movie or uh, a new uh, Pixar movie uh, once a month. 12 months. It's 12 movies. I never have to fucking go to the theater again. There's so many things that they can do. I don't know if Mulan is the right one to do it with. Like yeah. uh, uh, Black Widow would have 100% been the thing to do it with because people would kill to see it, right? Um, I agree with that. I think yeah, yeah. Black Widow would have cleaned up the $30. I would 100%. say Hamilton, Hamilton would have yes. crushed at 20 bucks. You can only – and yes. you have to subscribe? Come on. People would have done that, Christian. What's your? I think no matter no matter what, what no matter what the film is. I mean, what we're we're looking at in a very real way is a total change in the landscape of movie going. Yes, there's no coming back from this moment, and I think the communal experience of seeing a film uh, is is permanently and forever changed by this moment. I I don't think that that will change. Um, I think Trolls Two is evidence of that. You don't need. Mm -hmm. To be a film in theaters to be wildly successful, and so what does that look like in the future? It's a question. It's a big question mark. It's a big question because with you know, and Bill, we we talk about this all the time over Facebook. Is like, mm-hmm. do you know this Netflix movie that's coming out this week? I know nothing about this. I don't even think I've seen a trailer. Like, yeah, streaming streaming is and just like podcasting is kind of the wild wild west where they're still trying to figure out how to translate the real world experience into or you know if, if talking podcasts maybe the tv experience to uh just audio right so what i'm getting at is oh fuck i actually lost my train of thought i don't i don't know what i'm getting at well when you say wild wild west i immediately yes. throw the will smith song uh oh, great. i'm sorry no no no. i think no i think i know where i am so there it's a weird way of advertising for um, movies right now. So that Disney is moving Mulan to streaming. And mm-hmm. how do you, that, that, that conversation is still kind of weird. Like how it's advertising movies that are exclusively to streaming platforms is strange. Like if, if you talk to someone and said, Hey, uh, I saw the old guard with Charlie Theron. Like if, if that didn't come out during quarantine, people be like, what is that? Is that going to be in theaters? Because that's Charlie Theron. That sounds fucking cool. It's a comic book movie. I don't know what like this uh, project power with fucking Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. The reason I know these things is because I follow a million film blogs. No, and, I, and, I, I, I tweeted you the trailer. Yeah. And because you tweeted me the and I, and I, the people I follow on Twitter, I would not know that if I was the you know person watching cable news or just like on Facebook, not following Variety and all these places. So Disney building this gigantic subscriber base, which I think will, is up to sixty or seventy-two million yeah, subscribers. Worldwide. They don't need. They don't need to worry about 
um, normal advertising anymore. Sorry, and we'll, very quickly, just as a point of clarification, we're talking about the subscriber base of this podcast. Yes. Yes. Correct. Worldwide, yeah. 72 million. Worldwide. Easily. We love Easily. each and every Suck one of Joe Rogan. We got more <laughs> subscribers. Exactly. Where's our $100 million Spotify deal? I wish. Need it. I so, it. We're on yeah. Spotify, by the way, people. No, we are on Spotify. Yeah, so I think just like advertising for movies is going to have to change. Uh, Streaming is going to have to come in more into the real world and not just Netflix. Um, they need to, you know, be on billboards and, you know, you know, when you used to find out about movies, uh, movie trailers in theaters and movie posters, like that's gone out the window. Now, how do, how do, how does Netflix compete with Disney plus if they're going to be releasing uh $30, uh, $100 billion movies? Well, because they don't, platform? they don't need to compete because you can see the Irishman. On there, it was released in two theaters. Your, um, there was the other movie, no, 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 no. the Quran they, those, film. Those, yeah, but those movies are released in theaters to get award buzz. Yeah, but they were all movie. Netflix. Like they were Netflix. I mean, and they and yeah, like, Netflix. Netflix had to buy theaters in New York to show The Irishman. No, I understand that, but I, I, I'm just saying, like, they I'm don't, saying, like. Yeah, but how do they do the the? How do they follow up with Disney? So if Disney's going to be making five times the amount per month, right? Because they'll get to a point where, all right, well, Mulan comes out this month, and next month is uh, New Mutants, and the following month is uh, Black no Widow. No paying thirty dollars for New Mutants. They're going to set the price point. Theaters are going to still be closed. And they can do what right. they want. How does Netflix compete with someone who is now charging at minimum? Forty dollars a month compared to their twelve. Yeah. Like, how do they compete? And people are going to be flocking to Disney Plus, and they're not going to be able to afford also Netflix. So, how mm. does Netflix? How does Prime respond? How how do they? How are they going to compete? Because that's all it's about. It's all about competition. That's a good point. I don't think Netflix has that problem because Netflix, you know, has that back catalog, and it will always have like older shows and things you could stream and binge. Uh, I think it's like, how do newer streamers like HBO max Peacock uh, and like Hulu has a lot of old, uh, has a lot of TV series. So yeah, but prime is a one that's going to prime is one that will survive just basically due to their backer, but prime's going to get hit. There's a lot of others like that will get hit too. Like, like, you know, I could buy a movie on YouTube. Well, they'll take the hit. But it's like, yeah, so I see what you're saying there. But, I mean, Netflix just has to, I think Netflix just has to get aggressive with their marketing. I have friends inside baseball a little bit who work on a Netflix series. Netflix doesn't really promote that. It's just like, oh, here's season two of this. Cool. And it's like, that's not how you promote shit. Like you were saying, like how many movies have come up? You're like, oh my god! Like I, it, this movie comes out tomorrow. I've never heard of this before. Netflix has to just get more serious with its marketing model, I think. But it is, it is a question. I think I credit where credit is due. I mean, it is, it is a question. I think, I think Al's point of it being the Wild West right now is is very apt, right? And that there is, um, there's no roadmap here oh. in terms of marketing, especially. It, it is, it is in a totally new. Um, in a new space, right, where 
as 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 a as a digital native, right? As as a fourteen year old boy that I am, um, having lived in no time before the internet. Um, Thank you. There is a question of fourteen, but okay. Of, of of those of us who are who are currently in middle and high school, like myself, um, who don't watch cable TV at all. <laughs> Right. And, I mean, uh, you're, we've I, already established also, you're a grad student, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> I keep saying you're 14. It's fine. Very bad. Um, but no, I mean, there, there, it, it is worth saying that there, the platforms that people are traditionally exposed to any sort of marketing or advertising push um, don't really exist anymore for the right. generation that people want to market to. Right. No one's on Facebook anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Facebook is very few and far between. Twitter, Twitter ads are not really advanced in any sort of meaningful way, and they're quite easy to scroll past it anymore. So how do you market to this generation that is that are digital native, right? These Zoomers and millennials that mm-hmm. are not that are disconnected from the cord, that are not listening to the radio, all of these subscription services that the selling point is you don't have to involve yourself in commercials. So what does marketing look like at that place? Yeah, it's a question. Marketing- a question that hasn't been answered, I think, effectively. No, and I think the way that they have been trying to combat it is, um, you know, it's all, it's very hidden. The marketing, it's it's influencer based. It's you know, you're not um, you're not listening to you know car commercials on the radio anymore. You're listening about purple mattresses when you're when you're uh, listening to your favorite podcast, right? Yep. And it's your favorite person on the you know probably on the planet is the one trying to sell it to you with their code, you know, Conan, right? So that's the way they're doing it. And these streaming platforms are the reason they want to build up the subscriber base, obviously, you know, because of money. And the other part is they just have to advertise on the platform because that's, it's a direct to consumer product. So Disney making Hamilton free Building up the, you know, building up this uh, subscriber base and having these movies available at home on the same day that they'd be in, you know, that they were supposed to be in theaters, but are now straight up not. Um, that that's a game changer, right? That's that's going to bring these subscriber bases to astronomical levels. Disney will own everything, is like we've already talked about. Yep, and they only have to advertise to the people who are going to be constantly on the app. They're going to develop, uh, you know, uh, right when quarantine started, they had that watch watch party app, mm-hmm. um, and then you know you can um, you can watch favorite your favorite movies together socially while watching the same flick. Disney's going to probably develop something like that, and you're going to just constantly you're going to sign onto your computer or your television, and you're going to go on Disney because that's going to be your whole platform. They don't need to advertise anymore. Like they're going to have the DTC, the direct to consumer. And I didn't know Facebook or Twitter was dead at this point. Thank you, Christian, for lighting me on. Twitter, Twitter is very much alive. Facebook is only for uh, your parents to share alt right memes on. Just so you know. Oh, yeah. I've gotten to a few fights and not invited to important family events due to that, in my, my views. Um, Christian, you're a music guy. Always have been on the site. Some may say. Some may say. I'm saying it. Do you think this model we've just been speaking about for the last 40 so minutes 
uh, can translate to the music industry in terms of concerts and more most more importantly, music festivals. Now we spoke about how oh, time is irrelevant a few episodes ago about uh, the organizer of Lollapalooza saying, mm-hmm. "Hey, we're not going to see like the multi-day fest." until 2022, which obviously we're in August 2020. That's two years from now, roughly. Um, Christian, do you think that the music festival can transition to a VOD type thing, the VOD VOD environment? Would that be as, can that happen? Or is that live experience of a concert way different than movies? It's it's very interesting because I think, the, the big difference from, from the jump here is that film and television has always been very much uh, a monetary transaction, right? You are watching a film, you expect to pay for it at a certain level. Um, music, we have been moved away from that model for quite some time. And I think the, the biggest way that has sort of manifested itself throughout the pandemic is the really huge wave of Instagram Live concerts, DJ sets, and festivals that have sprung up, um, most of which have been free, all of which have been, for, for the most part, the ones that I have seen have been donation optional to a Black Lives Matter charity of your choice, right? And so while there is an option to watch music simultaneously, what it looks like to monetize that in a way that is meaningful and can pay artists a living in a way that most touring artists rely on that, that payment cycle um, is, is a question that I think hasn't been answered, right? The only mu- live music I have seen throughout quarantine have been these concerts and DJ sets uh, and solo shows that have been streamed over Instagram Live and similar platforms. And all of these have been free or for donation. Um, but what this means for smaller artists and for artists that rely on on touring income, even artists like, like, um, uh, like what's his name? What's Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young? What's what's Crosby's first name? Uh, Steven Stills. Bing, Bing Crosby. Bing Crosby. Uh, David Crosby. David Crosby was on a, Bing Crosby. a radio show that I listen to quite frequently on, um, and and said that he is pretty much wrecked without the live touring industry because sure. the live touring industry employs an unbelievable, unbelievably large amount of people from sound engineers to people in tech to people in lighting. And it also is at this moment in time we're streaming and we're streaming as king and, you know, album rights and, and, and CD sales are not what they were in any way, shape or form. Live touring is really the only way that artists make any sort of money. Um, and so it's it's a really I think it's a really critical moment. It's a really scary moment for a lot of people. And it's unclear. I just saw I, I think it was uh, a Twitter post from Germany of a socially distanced concert of people all on little like platforms that are six feet apart and they can watch it from sitting down. Um, there are actually shows. But in I, New I I don't know. If there has been. This. Oh really? Yeah, like uh, at Monmouth Park, which is a horse racetrack they have had grace potter they had her play there i think andrew mcmahon's going to play there and they basically have these little cordoned off like little booths for lack of a better term that you can watch from yeah 
Um, now they've tried doing the drive-in there. From what I've read from people, from journalists I've worked with in the past, like the drive-in experience was not great. But the quote-unquote like happy hour shows, they're calling them, like Grace Potter, mm-hmm. uh, Blackberry Smoke would be uh, another band. They work really well. People are sitting there. Everyone's live. Everyone's socially distanced. Some people, you know, a lot of people wearing masks. That is happening right now in the United States. So it's interesting. And there are, you know, obviously lighting people, sound people, stagehands. Al, you've talked a lot about in the past on this podcast about uh, a venue's doing VOD service, you know, where artists doing v- uh, VOD shows from certain venues to benefit them. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about, okay, I'm Lollapalooza, for example. I'm going to, for $30 on Lollapalooza.com, stream this uh, event, and I have announced my entire lineup. It is a lineup you would expect any year from Lollapalooza. Um, is that something you would watch? Because $30 is a hell of a lot cheaper than a concert ticket you would pay to go live and sweat your ass off to see that same show. You can recreate the theater going experience. If you have enough money, you could buy a nice stereo system. You could buy a nice TV. You could buy a very comfy chair. Um, you could burn popcorn. You can, uh, you, know, you could some snow in there make, make it a really fun treat. You can't recreate the uh, in concert, uh, in person concert experience. It is one of the greatest feelings, and uh, just the happiest that you could possibly be. Um, speaking Nothing as someone who goes through a lot, the unfiltered feeling of rage when a man who's six foot seven stands in front of you and hasn't been there for the entire opener, but the minute the headliner goes on stage, there he is. Yeah. Nothing can yeah. replace that. Nothing can replace the somehow slanted floors of Terminal Five and how there is literally uh, no no good place besides being on the stage to actually see. Nothing but can replace an opening band that decides, you know what, we're going to do a 55-minute set. We're going to go over. I know you have to catch the last train out of New York to New Jersey, but fuck you. We're going to do that. I haven't said that was a DJ from the band Lettuce, but he did do that when I saw Soul Live and I barely got to see one fucking song from that band. And look, here's what I'll say is that on an on-demand live streaming experience, what I won't get is all of the very well-meaning people in booths at the front, registering people to vote, giving out condoms. And then in the middle of the show, there are condom balloons flying everywhere filled with beer and maybe semen and it's disgusting and i want to leave the concert you don't get that from an at-home experience you don't or you, you truly know, my old achy ass knees from standing in the same fucking position with my arms uh crossed in the back of the concert venue uh either i won't yeah. get that we're yeah. joking of course because all three of us legitimately love live music yeah and like I would kill to have any of those experiences right now. Like I'd love to have someone 30 feet taller than me in front of me while watching like a cool band that I like. I 
I can't see myself paying. It's so weird. Like we, we were 30 seconds ago. I was saying that I will pay upwards to $50 to watch a Marvel movie at home. If I can't go to a theater, if I can't go to a concert, I don't want to see the concert unless it is a made for Netflix, like super production, like any of the Taylor Swift, uh, like concert movies. So there's one on those. They are so good because of the production value, you know, a two uh, two camera capture at Lollapalooza that you can watch on like the what was that uh, Fuse Network or one of the other uh, you know cable channels like y- there's a reason they don't show you the whole concert and they only show you one song from each person it's boring as shit there's no production value at all and I don't think they're gonna do that I don't think they're gonna just say all right well we're gonna make every set at Lollapalooza look like, you know, it should be seen on like cinema or like, you you know, I think we were just talking about uh, maybe off, off the podcast, but like Metallica, they're going to have like a, a concert film. They usually do like every so often have a concert S&M film. is going to come yeah. out um, yeah. from there when they did the second version of that uh, in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, that's something that we would do at Fathom events for one night only. Come see. It was Metallica. supposed to be a Fathom. It actually was a Fathom event. Exactly. So I I don't give a shit about those. Um, maybe maybe a Metallica because of the production value, but like a two camera capture at a music festival. That's gonna be really boring. That's yeah. so boring. Uh, I wouldn't pay to see that. And what, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm going to stay at my house and watch this for 10 hours straight. Yeah. For, I, what, for day one of this festival, when they stream, you know, when they stream festivals now, which they fucking do on YouTube for free or serious. they stream. Yeah. They stream that and they make it available for people. Maybe not the whole set, but usually of the person that you really are, you know the the headliner. Yeah, they're they're gonna show it. If you really want to see your favorite band, you can do. You're gonna. That's the route you're gonna take, right? Right. You could just watch old footage of them too, um, because they're gonna probably be playing the same songs. I don't know, like a Billie Eilish, Madison Square Garden, and an empty MSG with production value and you know little vignettes about her life and things like that. Yes, people can do it. I don't know if I'm going to do it. I mean, Coldplay had, uh, you know, their documentary, um, which was like the, it was like the Headful of Dreams tour, but it also had like their whole backstory. I would maybe do it for that. But again, that's like within, uh, you know, acclaimed director and, you know, it's an actual movie I'm going to be watching. I, I, I don't think I'm going to do this with a festival or a concert, for that matter. I went to a concert, and it was one of the best concerts I've ever been to. That was live-streamed. I listened to it in the background one time, and I haven't really revisited since. Because nothing's going to be that experience. Again, even though I was there, and I'm re-watching it, and I remember those moments. I'm not there again. It's not. It, it, it's like it's reminiscent, but I'm not there. It's, it's that the experience. Well, the concert ex- the concert experience is something that isn't made to be experienced in this medium, right? For a very important reason, right? And, 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 and in such a way that it is, it is something that is 
developed and designed to be a communal experience. And that is the joy and the pleasure and the deep frustration of it, right? And so the challenge is to adapt something like that, which is so born from the energy of the crowd to something that is private and personal and also universal at the same time that can be watched and shared, but over the screen in a way that you can share it in a physical way, right? And so it's a question of working with artists who are working in that medium, who are working in visual arts. Um, but of course, because we live in a disgusting and deeply broken country, it, it's a question of how many of the hundreds and thousands of people who are working in the live music industry are going to be laid off, are going to be out of a job, because that experience is just something that isn't feasible and isn't um, an acceptable risk in the current moment. Yeah, and those I've, people are not provided for. It's a terrifying time. Yeah, because a lot of, uh, you know, we talked about with Tommy, Share Our Stages uh, is a charity uh, benefiting independent music venues, which a lot of them we might see go under because when's the next time we're going to see live music? One thing I was going to bring up about festivals is out of the last Governor's Ball you shot, I believe was uh, the, the first one you shot for us, but the last one we ever attended was 2014. The opening act on that show, like day one Gates opening was Run the Jewels. The thing, yeah, trust me, I know this because I regret it every day that we weren't there, uh, is um, you're missing out on discovering bands. And if you're doing it on VOD and you see, this is six years ago, you see it a group called Run the Jewels, and you're a Strokes fan, and the Strokes play the year you covered it, I don't give a shit about that. You know, they're playing at 3 o'clock. Like, this is an eight-hour day. I, I don't care. And you're missing out on those bands. You're missing out on openers, on original bands, like, that could change everything for you. For example, I always bring this up. To people, you know, it's not on a podcast, but one of the first concerts we ever covered for Pop Break was a singer called Nicole Atkins. Opening band was a band called River City Extension. Amazing band. Met with the manager. Manager was like, you really need to be, you know, plant your flag in Asbury Park. It's the future of local independent music. He was right. And that's where we, so much we've done has been in Asbury Park. If I had never seen that opening band, I don't know what the site would have been musically. Because us covering those local bands like got us access to the bigger bands that came in the area and like working with those venues. That's just like a little inside baseball. But like we're missing out on the future of music because a lot of us don't care about those opening bands. But how many of us have seen a concert with the opening acts change our perception? We become fans. We love what they've done. Like, they open our minds to stuff we've never seen before, like we didn't hear before, because we're just there to see Band X that's headlining. And I think you miss, would miss out on that on a VOD experience. As well as, there's something about a live show and that live crowd that you can never recapture on a stream. Sometimes you need those streams. We well, like Dropkick did the St. Patrick's Day show. That was a different story because it was like we were all scared, and we were all you know we all needed something to brighten our brighten our lives, and that made sense. 
but you're missing out on the other part of it. So that's my take on it. I don't know. I, I think for movies, VOD works, concerts, there's going to be a lot of pain, but I think live is how it works. In the I do think run. there is, there is, it is just a fundamentally different experience to watch it over streaming. And if that is the reality, I mean, it's, it's, it's just not, you're not consuming the same content in the way that, you know, you see a movie in theaters, you see a movie at home. Yes, there's a quality difference, but you're getting generally the same content. The reality is with live music, I mean, you're just not going to be able to recreate that in any sort of meaningful way. And so it's a question of what does, not a replacement, but a, a, you know, a step to the side and, and, and a refocusing and, and thinking about, you know, what is responsible in this moment in terms of music? What does that look like on an individual audiovisual level? And that, that is, I think, a question that's yet to be answered. All right, guys. So let's move on to our next segment, A Slice of Fried Gold. How's that for a slice of fried gold? Yeah, boy! Now, this segment we had attended for last week, but I'm really excited to talk about it this week. And that was the trailer for the new Netflix film, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, directed by Charlie Kaufman. The writer on Adaptation uh, did. It will be released on September 4th. It'll be starring Jesse Plemons, Jesse Buckley, Tony Collette, and David Thulwis. Uh, you might remember him from uh, Prisoner of Azkaban and the Harry Potter films as Professor Lupin. Uh, if you don't know the name, just give me a little reference. Um, this uh, trailer dropped about a week and a half to two weeks ago. So, Christian, you watched this trailer. Uh, what do you think about it? Um, Bill, let, let it be said, I am extremely excited. I am a longtime fan of Jesse Buckley, who is the, the, the lead, the female lead in the film. I think also provides the voiceover to the trailer. She was a vision of power in the BBC adaptation of War and Peace, one of the great adaptations of that book. Um, and one of the better miniseries on television of all time. It's on Hulu. Everyone should watch it. It was my first quarantine watch. It was very relaxing. I loved it. Um, but, I mean, as, as is true of all Charlie Kaufman scripts that I've had the pleasure to be exposed to, um, this film, I'm thinking of anything, seems like it is incredibly cerebral and also quite a trip. I'm very excited for it. Um, also, like, Jesse Buckley speaks in like this crazy, like Soto Voce, like smoky voice, the whole trailer, which made me, which really drew me in kind of like a whisper. Felt like it was a secret that I was learning about. Um, yeah, I, I am, I think it is the most excited I have felt for a Netflix original film, just based on the, on the trailer alone. And I think ever in the history of Netflix original films for me. And just to give some context for people who haven't seen Adaptation, Charlie Kaufman is also the writer on Being John Malkovich, Conventions of a Dangerous Mind, Eternal Sunshine on the Spotless Mind, uh, Cinecochi, New York, Annalisa, and uh, yeah. So you've probably seen a few of those movies, especially those. Pro- uh, more people have probably seen Eternal Sunshine or Being John Malkovich. He is the creative mind behind that. So, Al, you've watched this trailer. Um, you win? 
I am, but I'm so scared. Like, Why are you man, scared, bro, I'm scared because I, I, I also I, feel like you're in your background at the bar of yeah. uh, it's always sunny because we do this on video. So we just have more of a informal conversation. He's got mm-hmm. the bar from there on the background. I'm like, man, why is Al in this bar in Philly right now? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. No, one, I've been drinking way too much. And yeah. two, it's just, you know, it's fun. I haven't felt this unnerved um, in a, uh, like watching a trailer in like a long, long time. And uh, I think probably since maybe, I was going to say even Uncut Gems, but no, I, this one, like I was, I felt uncomfortable watching it. Um, everything about it. The voiceover, the quick cuts, um, the the family, the changing of the times, and all this kind of stuff. Um, that's all from the trailer. No spoilers. Yeah, I, I I felt so on like on edge, and uh, I don't know if I can watch this alone. I'm going to see if my wife would want to watch it with me, but She's I have not. to watch it because it looks God. First of all, it looks um, like super interesting, but number two, most important thing, Jesse Plemons. For the win. Great in everything. Game night? Uh, game night? Game night. Should have won a Christian, have you Oscar. seen Game Night? I have, I have yet to see Game Night. Game oh, Night is Sorry, so yeah. undersold as a film. Yeah. It's like it's it very, comes off, it's just like, oh, here's this comedy. It is so smart. Yeah. Such a good, like, it's a good comedy, but it's also a good thriller, mm-hmm. an action film. It's like wildly underrated. Yeah, it's like... Oh, Al, do you remember the one scene where there was the one guy who was like... Rachel McAdams is like squaring off at... Uh, yeah. And, yeah. We've interviewed that guy on the pop Breaks. He was a pro wrestler. His name was Gunner. He's now with WWE. We That's interviewed great. him, and I remember sitting there. I'm like, he was such a an interesting guy that I found out he was such like a proud boy Trump fan. I'm like, oh, his fate was deserved. It's deserved in that film. Yes. But so, Jesse Plemons but, in Game Night is a revelation. Yeah. Jesse Plemons in Game Night. Jesse Plemons in Breaking Bad. Fargo. Uh, or, like, I think what people, most people would know him for is is, is his episode of, uh, was it the USS McAllister McCall- uh, on uh, Black Mirror? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Great episode. Yeah. I haven't seen and it. He's phenomenal. I see it. Oh, it's fantastic. I've it's seen two like, episodes here, of Black Mirror. Here's Bear. how I know very quickly that this film is going to be an amazing film. It's Tony Collette. Tony Collette. Tony Collette. Tony Collette. The greatest actress of all time. I don't amazing. know if the two of you gentlemen have seen Hereditary. No. Um, Can't. I will. Okay. One day. I don't know why we haven't VOD'd it with my wife. I, she loves horror movies. She'd be First demand. of all, it is, it is objectively unexpected acceptable that you can talk about this film without having seen Hereditary. Tony Collette's role in Hereditary. She, have a she child. You'll understand. 35 Oscars for that role. She was unbelievable and terrifying. Absolutely mm-hmm. terrifying. I will watch anything Tony Collette is in. And she seems, she's only in the trailer for moments. All of those moments perfectly acted. I'm oh, terrified. Yeah. I'm very excited. Yeah. I I saw this. I'm, my wife read most of the book, and um, I remember just saying offhandedly to her, "I'm like, what are you what are you doing?" And she's like, "I'm thinking of leaving you." And I was just like, "Well, understandable." Uh, and then she's like, "No, it's a fucking book I'm reading." She's like, "I'm not going anywhere." And so, yeah, terrible joke on my part. But she read the book. She's like, was really just like, 
into it, but then pandemic hit, and she's like, I can't read something that's just that intense right at this moment. But I, we watched the trailer, and she was like, I, we have to watch this. This is the first Netflix film for me in 2020 where I'm like, I got to drop everything, and on September 4th, I got to watch this, unless there's a wrestling pay-per-view that day, but that's just me. Um, but I have to see this film. It is so crazy. Adapta- I love adaptation. I didn't love Syndicate in New York. I actually forgot that movie existed until like I was re-looking up Charlie Kaufman a few weeks ago. But so many of the films he's written have been so great. But Adaptation, if you've never seen Adaptation, change your life. That movie is great. Chris Cooper? Forget everything you've seen Chris Cooper in. This is the movie you need to see him in. Meryl Streep, also amazing in this film. Adaptation is just beyond Thunderdome. So I guess consensus, we're all in on this film. So it's September fourth. Netflix. You can see this movie. Yep. If you have Netflix. And we are going to go into our next segment, which I will exit stage right to in a minute, uh, and that is music in a time of quarantine. Yeah, always sung live and always terrible. Uh, this is a segment where we talk about music we are loving right now. Uh, Christian, we're going to go to you. Then Al, we're going to go to you. I'm going to take a brief, uh, brief respite. So, gentlemen, talk amongst yourselves. And Al, make notes. Thank you, Bill. Um, it's been an honor uh, to speak with you. Goodbye forever. Um, I would like to say I have been listening to quite religiously um, the new OK Kaya album that came out. So OK Kaya is this amazing um, artist who's coming out of, I believe, she's in Brooklyn, but she also splits time between there and Norway, I believe. I think she is Norwegian, but born in New Jersey, which we love to represent um, East Coast media elites. But an album just came out um, that she recorded during quarantine called Surviving is the New Living. Uh, and I think OK Kaya is writing the best lyrics that... Um, exist in the music world today. Her previous album, which also came out in 2020, we got two for the price of one this year, Watch This Look for Tour Itself, um, is my favorite album to come out in the last few years. I think she's a brilliant genius. I think all should listen to her. Um, yeah, that's that's what I have to say. Excellent. Uh, well, thank you so much. Uh, I value your musical opinions. They've helped shape me uh, and my musical taste uh, since since you first started listening to good stuff and going to concerts, I remember, um, I remember years ago, cause I have to contractually obligated to mention them every podcast. I remember when we first talked about how I had just discovered Phoenix. Uh, and you were like, lest we forget, lest we yeah. forget. Lest we forget. you're like, Oh my God, here's every great song they've ever done. Uh, hint, hint. It's all of them. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I make sure you listen to um, Christian's pick because that is perfection, and he will mention it one more time. Christian, yes. I will absolutely. So, OK Kaya is the artist. She's incredible. She's writing the best lyrics um, in music today. She's wildly, wildly, wildly under listened to in a way that is crazy to me. She's the most important artist writing music. Uh, she just came out with a new quarantine album called "Surviving Is the New Living," which is incredible. Highly recommend uh, from that uh, from that album, Squish. Great song. Um, also, Bill Withers, great song. But 
Of course, my favorite of her albums, there are three out so far, including that last one. My favorite is the other one that came out in 2020, which was as it was uh, scheduled to be released before the pandemic, which is called Watch This Liquid Pour Itself. Every single song uh, on that album is exactly perfect. Um, but I do think uh, insert generic name, um, Mother Nature's Bitch. And um, can we curse from the podcast? Uh, yeah. Fucking cool. Just checking in, just checking in. Um, and asexual well-being are uh, classics for the ages. Uh, she's she's an incredible artist. Everyone should listen to her. She has also an unbelievable, here's what I'll say. I'm not being paid by her. I'm just a huge fan. There's an unbelievable, I don't know if you know this, uh, there's a French YouTube channel that I'm going to butcher the name of called, uh, it's called Le Blog Chique. B-L-O-G-T-H-E-Q-U-E-Q-U-E-U-E, I think. But they do these things called takeaway shows, which is um, artists playing acoustic in different places, often throughout Paris. And she has this unbelievable um, show in this little cafe that she does. Um, she does an acoustic version of the song in Norwegian, but then she does an acoustic version of... Um, I believe it's uh, Do You Believe in Life After Love? And it makes me cry. And you should all listen to it. And it's a perfect album. That's all I have to say. Thank you very much for your time. That blog is L-A space B-L-O-G-O-T-H-E-Q-U-E. And to me, like, I want to check that out. Christian, you were the person who was like Phoebe Bridgers all day. She's great. Uh, as a person we've talked about on the podcast before, I think, Al, you've talked about her. Um, no, someone did. I don't know who, but someone definitely. It, it, it was Kelly. Of course. One of our favorite people of all time. And, uh, yeah, so I'm going to definitely go check out that YouTube page. And, uh, man, that's so on frame for you, Christian. I love it. Um, Thank you. I, I try and love to it. Also, let me just say really quickly for the record, so everyone knows, I think, Bill, I told you about this when it happened, but. When I did get to email interview Phoebe Bridgers, I did, of course, ask her as a longtime fan about the Apple commercial she did where she where her commercial band covered uh, the song Gigantic, an unbelievable song. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and she a thousand percent neglected to answer that question, just ignored it. And I think oh. about it every day. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I do love the original song and the cover. But you know yeah, what? The fact we even got that interview and your intro was chef's kiss. So good. Al, what band are you going to recommend that I'm just going to just punch myself in the face about? So this is a band I think that would be on uh, Christian's radar. If it already, if it, I think it may already be. I have just discovered that my, my sister-in-law were, uh, and I uh, used to go to a, a ton of concerts together and, Former writer, uh, well, no, current writer, Aaron uh, Aaron Mathis. Yeah, so we used to go to a bunch of concerts together. We didn't, we haven't gone, obviously, for, uh, you know, COVID. We hung out last week, and we were kind of like, all right, let's just play new songs, like stuff that we're listening to, because we haven't heard each other. So she told me about this band called Beach Bunny. Christian, are you familiar? I feel like I'm I, not. I'm not. I'm, so you I'm need to you need to listen to this band, uh, another female-led band. 
Um, they have a new album out called Honeymoon, which came out right before the pandemic in February. Um, I was introduced to them by the ways of Painkiller, but it's like like beachy indie like surf excellent. music. No, just like like I'd say their sound is wincing the night away by the shins. Like the that's the feel. Oh, I like it's very that like I don't know female Cayucas. It's very interesting. Like the, the different, different, like I, I see so many different like bands that I like kind of infuse. Even, even um, a Courtney Barnett like kind of style too. Um, She's very and I good. love, love, love me some Courtney Barnett. Um, yeah. Supposed so, to be a great uh, artist, by the way. Yeah. Beach Bunny. Uh, check, check them out. Painkiller. Very good. And uh, everything from them has been pretty excellent so far. I'm kind of, uh, <laughs> in the intro phase, just kind of getting my bearings with them, but I'm a big fan. I'm going to go with the band Al and Christian. You guys might like already. Um, I really, I, they have a new song out. Uh, it was playing on Sirius XM, which is a, a, a Sirius XMU, I should say, which is a station uh, both my wife and I very much love. Um, it's uh, the districts and they have a new song called cheap regrets. Uh, definitely harkens me back to those mid aughts, um, British alternative, even though I don't know if the districts are British or not, probably. But it has all the trappings of today's synth-based awesomeness with those mid-aughts, jangly pop, uh, pop alternative uh, feelings. Uh, it's definitely, it's so hooky, so good. Definitely check this one out if uh, you were a fan of, well, the districts. Also, like, Bands like Franz Ferdinand, Kaiser Chiefs, like definitely in that wheelhouse. Um, I've been listening to it a lot. It's a super good song. Very happy with it. And uh, highly recommend it. And now we're going to move into the watch list. I'm going to go first because I can't contain my excitement. And the last time I talked about the show, I was so drunk that I don't even know what I said. That was on the uh, Forgetting Bill Bodkin episode. And that is Lovecraft Country which just premiered, we're recording this on uh, August 18th, or premiered on August 16th on HBO. The premiere is currently on HBO Max. I have been reviewing TV shows since 2009 uh, for com, even before it was Popbreak. This may have been one of the best premieres I have ever witnessed in the 11 years I've been covering TV on the site. It was, my review is currently on the site right now. It was one of the most audacious, ambitious, and awesome things I've ever seen HBO do. Now you're like, Bill, we just finished Watchmen. How could anything uh, compare? As far as premieres go, this premiere tackled, in one episode, systemic racism, misogyny, sexism, the traumas of war and deep-rooted familial drama, familial drama, I should say, as well as 1950s-inspired drive-in horror, 10,000 gallons of blood, car chases, references to Greek, Greek, I should say, epic journeys. That was in one episode. I'm... It was so much jammed in there. It was absolutely phenomenal. 
Journey Smollett Bell. This was her kick in the door. I am the star of this generation performance. You might know her from uh, most recently from um, Birds of Prey, where she played Black Canary. Um, and she was amazing in this. She literally has a moment in this of where I said kick in the door. She has a line in here that is iconic that she just announces herself after being just stifled by every male in this per- and every female in this show for her li- living her truth. And she comes out and saves the day multiple times. I'm not ruining anything. This is also in the trailer. It has one of the great openings and in one of the most unexpected openings you're ever going to see on a pilot or a premiere. I watched this and I sat there and I literally had to close my mouth because it was so unexpected and so wild from a, a narrative and a visual aesthetic. I couldn't believe what I was watching. It is a show that I don't know how it's ever going to live up to, you know, the rest of the series is going to live up to the premiere. But that premiere I watched twice in a row and I've never really done that on an HBO series. Wow. Yeah, it, it, I, I, I couldn't believe everything they tackled here. And it was an important show to talk about stuff that's happening to this day. But also just be this fantastical, pulpy show that it's like it's like a monster sci-fi epic adventure, but also deals with so much currently going on. It's it's just I was floored by this show. If you have not seen the premiere for Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country, beg, borrow, steal. Find a way to watch this. You will not be disappointed. This is the first, um, I'm not going to say streaming show, the first regular television show that I have been absolutely chomping at the bit for a second episode of. It has been a, since Watchmen. It has been a very long time since I've wanted to see the next episode of a show. This is destination viewing. I 150% recommend you watch this show. So that is my recommendation for the watch list. Al, Christian, I think you both would love this show. I can't wait to watch it. I I am sorry that you were excited to watch it and I probably oversold it, but no, I just no. This I loved it so much. I couldn't believe how much I loved it. I've heard only good things. I've heard it's unbelievable. Me too. And, and, it's, and it supposedly deviates a lot from the book that it was based on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've heard nothing but good things from other people as well. But, wow. I actually had, like, a very hard time trying to write this piece because I'm just like, I don't, I can't do justice to this at all. That's how good it is. Would you say it was a similar effect to when you saw the Watchmen pilot? N- yes and no. So okay. the Watchmen, I reread my review of the Watchmen to be like, okay, did I have a similar feeling? I felt like when I left the Watchmen uh, premiere, I was like, okay, HBO has found their new series. I'm very interested in what they have to, to say. But there were a lot of problems I had with it. I, and I read my original review. Because I think the premiere is good. But once you get to that middle to end of Watchmen, that's when it's great. That's when it hits. Like, this is a home run, first pitch at that type deal. My concern with the show is 
can it sustain that excellence? Mm -hmm. Given it's HBO, given what we've seen with Watchmen, given uh, the showrunners who also did uh, WGN's Underground, and given the cast, which the the lead actor was, um, I I don't have it in front of me, let me pull it up for one second. He was the lead in The Last Black Man in America. He was also in The Five Bloods. And I feel like if I don't mention him, I would be... Is it, is it The uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco? I'm Back sorry, what did I say? You said America. I'm sorry, I apologize. Last Black Man in San Francisco. That's 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 yes. a no worry. Yeah, I, uh, I apologize for that. Jonathan Majors. Got it. He is very understated in this, this role. And he's the one that's like the upside for that character, Atticus Freeman. Huge. Courtney B. Vance is also in this. Um, it is like if they can maintain what they did in that first episode throughout, this is a temple. This is a huge series for HBO. Like I said, I watched Perry Mason. I watched the, um, was it the outsider? Which, uh, Jason Bateman produced. Mm-hmm. Those were fine. Well, the outsider was okay. Perry Mason was good, but I haven't seen a show since Watchmen on HBO. That's been like, appointment i need to be here for this show no i have to i have to cut you off because while we're talking about hbo i would be remiss if we did not discuss i may destroy you which which we talked about on the tv break uh podcast i do with our tv editor alex marcus for july which he said was absolutely phenomenal i cannot recommend it enough if you have not seen it um, I have not, not seen it, but I've heard. I was, yeah, I, it was not the show I was planning on talking about, and I will talk about the other show because sure, I know, loosey goosey format. Don't worry about it. No, no, of course, but what I will say is that I think I May Destroy You is pushing the barriers of the genre in ways that oh, I have absolutely. not seen a television show do in an in an interesting amount of time. And it is also for something that is being released at a weekly format. The only thing that I have anticipated with any sort of joy. Uh, since Game of Thrones took away all of the love and safety I feel in the world. Yeah. I mean, well, would you... Okay, so let's discuss that for a hot second because Al's taking a break. Is um, the final season of Game of Thrones, how did you feel about that? Oh, it's absolutely a garbage dumpster fire and a disgrace to all who were involved. Sure, but the siege on Winterfell. Yes, garbage dumpster fire, absolutely disgrace. Fuck, I love that episode. No, I mean, the, I mean, the joy, the joy of Game of Thrones and the pleasure that it brings, I think, is because it was so it was such so distant. Such, it was at such an arm's length from the typical fantasy series where everyone has thick plot armor and can't die. Right. I mean, the shock of season one. Of course. Which I think it's I think it's not a spoiler at this point. No, it's I refrain, not. Yeah. I mean, when Ned Stark uh, gets decapitated this uh, brutally on screen. I mean, that is the main character of season one. And you expect, from that point on, you expect that all other characters will be treated equally. And for the most part, throughout the other seasons, they are. People are expendable. People can die. Um, and with only rare exception, right, you right, know, right. they don't come back. But, I mean, in that episode, A, none of the decisions made by anyone strategically make any sense. They just send the Dothraki out to die. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. The entire thing is filmed... Um, in, I guess, the equivalent of flux mode without the yellow scale. So everything is just in complete darkness. 
to to the extent that like no one could see it. Um, and also every single one of the characters survives while we see them being absolutely overrun and destroyed um, by legions of uh, the undead. So Except, I love uh, Game Lady Mormont. It was my favorite. It was my favorite TV show until that season. Jorah Mormont. No, no, no. I'm, ta- I'm talking about Lady Mormont, the little lady. Oh, Lady Mormont. Yeah. Also, rest in peace. And Jorah. But but, but I, I I may destroy. I think I may destroy you. Like that was like that's a series that got the acclaim, but like also aired on HBO at like a weird day and time too. I think it is bizarre. I think I think I May Destroy You is maybe going to be the flagship show for the transition from HBO Go and HBO Now to HBO Max. Yeah, it seems I to be so the too. first show that's making any meaningful push on the platform. Well, they also um, aren't on Roku or Fire Stick. Yeah, um, but it is unbelievable. Um, I haven't seen Lovecraft Country yet, so I obviously can't compare. But uh, it's on it, HBO Max right now. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to watch it. But um, I May Destroy You is. What, the best and most well thought out television show I've seen in a super long time. But okay, so that wasn't your your pick. Thank you for putting that. And we'll put it in the show notes. But what was the show you were going to recommend to people or movie? Absolutely, the show that I recommend to people, which has changed my life and lifestyle, is a Netflix documentary series that has been on that has been on Netflix for a few years now that no one has seen. Al, you may have heard me talk about this. It is. The, it is F1 Drive to Survive. It is the F1 documentary series. There are two seasons out, and they track Formula One drivers. I was is, wondering if you were doing talking about Formula One. I was like, it is away. crazy. It is the best me. documentary series I've ever seen in my whole life. I Fine. went from not caring about Formula One at all to being a, I wake up at 8 a.m. to watch the races. I kill people for Formula One. Dude, my, my wife's best friend, her husband. I remember trying to tape Formula One for him because he's from England. He obsessed with Formula One. Everyone who is alive should watch Formula One Drive to Survive. Formula Fuck, One is I might the most watch this now. obscene sport in the world. Forget Umbrella Academy. Twenty people get to get to compete at the highest level. Twenty people. So it's like twenty people being in the NHL or the NFL. Insane, first of all. Second of all, the politics and the amount of money behind all of these teams is staggering and horrifying. Hundreds of millions of dollars are going into these cars every year, and there's so much politics involved. It's crazy. And the head games between all, all the drivers, because Formula One is a crazy sport to get into, have been racing each other for their entire lives. They all know each other. They all grow up with each other. They all hate each other. It's insane. Lewis Hamilton just became the winningest driver in Formula One and is the champion of the Black Lives Matter movement in the ra- in the sport. Um, something amazing to watch. He's a champion. He's the best he's ever done it. And also, Formula One is fucking nuts and everyone should watch it. There was supposed to be a Formula One race in New Jersey, I think. They had like a whole track they were trying to build in like Weehawken, I think. Yeah, that ended up being in uh, the track of the Americas. I think that ended up being in Austin, Texas instead. Yeah, yeah, that was so sad. Yeah. Fuck, Formula One, I didn't think we'd be talking about that. That's crazy. Uh, like, I have no frame of reference except my friend Dave, who loves it. So, Dave, I'm going to recommend this to you, you British bastard. Uh, I wake up at 8 a.m. every other Sunday to watch the Formula One race. On what channel? Well, I'm so, I illegally streamed. 
legally stream. I love Don't, it. That's, it's great. Um, but if I, a 14-year-old who wakes up only afternoon, 22. can get up at 8 a.m. to watch Formula One, anyone can. And it's great. It's legitimately 22 or 23, by the way. Um, Al, we kind of know your pick already. And I use the word pick on purpose. Talk about your love for America Pickers. Oh, man. So, <laughs> and first off, this, first off, I thought the show was off the air. No, it's on uh, season like 21, I believe. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. It should never be off the air. It should. That's it, 100%. A treasure. It's more important than baseball, I would say. Fuck off. I, I, no, it probably to- is. I totally agree. Um, it's actually all stemmed from um, not knowing what I wanted to watch on uh, streaming platforms and using a Pluto TV where you yeah. can watch like these kind of like free cable like reruns and stuff. And Pluto like, is insane, like, by the way. Pluto Pluto's pretty great. We can I, do a whole I, podcast it, about how good Pluto is. It just popped up like because I have a Fios. Yeah. Like I could stream like YouTube through my through one channel and Netflix mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden Pluto just showed up. Yeah. Pluto has a million channels. Like yes. there's like multiple wrestling channels, which I need to get into like mm-hmm. so much shit you can get into. I don't understand where it came from or what it is, mm-hmm. but it's amazing. So I've been watching as, Pluto. As, if you want to sponsor as, um, us, please do as a Philistine, as a Philistine and maybe an opportunity for you to fill some ad spots. Uh, I have no concept of what Pluto is. Can you please explain to me? I yeah, don't really know so, either. But all right, so Pluto TV is it's an it's a free app on um, like any streaming any device that has streaming. Yeah. So you can go on your iPhone right now, or if you have a a smart TV or whatever, Christian, you can uh, just search Pluto TV. It's one hundred percent free. You do not have to log in, and mm. it's basically like everything you want in cable television in the sense that there's individual channels there's mo- like there's movie channels and then instead of like abc there is like um an a and e channel that is just reruns of storage wars yeah like they'll have certain channels that oh, are wow. just uh like for yeah. wrestling it's like yeah t- like impact wrestling like this show on one channel 24 hours a day or like they'll do like cozy tv it's like monsters tv and you're like, yeah, wow! Bat- I didn't Batman know I needed a the fucking channel about 66, the monsters. Batman sixty six. Like you can watch, wow. like yeah, it's pretty great. And you know, if you if you ever want to go like a, like uh, a di- like a crazy rabbit hole of like old television and random movies, like they had Star uh, Star Trek Beyond. I was watching on Pluto. I was like. Of course I'll watch this. Actually, so anyway, Pluto TV one is how I already treat Hulu, which is just I turn on Chopped and let it run until it says, are you still watching No, this? it's different because it's different than the other streamers because it's the cable experience where you could flip channels and you could watch different things uh, every hour, every half hour. It's great. Would not um, be surprised if there's a Formula One channel. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Be I wouldn't. Seriously, I wouldn't be surprised. You have me at Formula One. Yeah. So, so very anyway, late in the game is what I would saying. watch like reruns of Storage Wars, reruns of Pawn Stars, like different things. And I think I saw like reruns of American Pickers, and I'm like, fuck, I love this show. I loved this show and would watch it all the time. I'm like, w- let me see where I can find it besides Pluto, so I can like w- you know start at like a beginning of a season. I didn't know how many seasons there were until I downloaded the history app. And if you have like Comcast <laughs> right, or Xfinity or whatever. 
you can um, just log in through there. There are over 400 episodes of of, of uh, American Pickers. I started at season 15. I'm like, this should be good enough. And they're like 12 episode seasons. And they're great. Mike, Mike and Frank are goddamn <laughs> national treasures. Uh, Mike Wolf and Frank Fritz. And uh, they travel the country uh, looking for rusty gold. And uh, oh, I have seen this show, yeah. It's the best. Yeah. They they filmed in Jersey. They filmed in uh, uh, I think in I think Barnegat or Waretown or something where there's like I some mean, antique shop or something. That makes sense. Um, it's the best. It's comfort food. We talked about like the the whole you know music in a time of quarantine and the watch list are like recommendations so you can you know escape like escapism to the fullest extent. Yeah, it's like this podcast should be. But then we periodically remind you that you're, you know, in, in during quarantine. the pandemic. Yeah. This is comfort food for me. It's I love watching people find cool shit in, in like, hoarder houses. It's excellent. It's like I just did a podcast about Point Break, and they're like, why do you love it? I'm like, it's fucking comfort food, man. <laughs> so let's transition to our final segment. And that is uh, A Glimmer of Hope. Glimmer of Hope! Oh boy, oh boy. This Glimmer of Hope um, was not our original intention. Uh, we were originally going to talk about movies, uh, the sort of fake um, fast food restaurant in Clark's 2 coming to Red Bank, New Jersey, uh, after doing a pop-up in L.A., but we're not going to talk about that, although I think it's a decent shout-out. We're going to be talking about the fact that the uh, creators of Stranger Things, the Duffer Brothers... Uh, did an interview with the Hollywood Reporter, and I'm like, oh, hey, uh, you know how we said we're going to end things in season four? The story's not ending in season four. So Netflix is notorious for canceling shows after season four or before season four. I know they just, uh, Hassan Minaj's uh, show just got axed after seven seasons. I know it's been less than seven years. Um, and Ozark was scheduled for a final season after season four. Christian, what's your take on uh, Stranger Things continuing beyond the season four, which we've seen the teaser trailer before um, all this started? And uh, do you think it should just end? How do you think this quote-unquote story is going to continue? Well, oh, And are you a fan of Stranger Things, by the way? First of all, yes, absolutely. As a long time um, and secret Dungeons and Dragons player, and now Don't ever first, for the first time in the public eye, uh, very very publicly uh, proclaiming my absolute uh, love and passion for it. Absolutely love to see it represented in the media. Uh, in fact, Bill, I come to you today uh, at an interesting time in my life because I only just yesterday heard a story um that takes place actually in the 90s that could affect um, the trajectory of time and space and culture as we know it and involve Stranger Things. You did uh, mention this game. before, but I hadn't been drinking, so I'm like, oh shit, I forgot you mentioned this to me. But yes, I please did. tell me. So Gen Con is an annual convention for role-playing games, specifically Dungeons & Dragons, begun by, I believe, uh, the late, great Gary Gygax, who uh, invented and created the role-playing game Phenomenon, 
Dungeons and Dragons. And in, I believe, the 90s, but Magic the Gathering fans, please correct me. In the 90s, uh, Magic was created. So this Magic card game, this card game was created by, I, I believe, Brothers. Of course, fact check me. I could be a thousand percent wrong. It's created by two guys, I think. Um, this story is third-hand information, but it's very compelling. They brought this card game to Gen Con for the first time with no marketing, with nothing. And they had ordered their cards from the printer with the expectation of pitching and selling them at Gen Con to be thousands and thousands of fantasy fans who would be there. Gen Con is uh, a pilgrimage-like event that thousands attend every year. It is the Comic-Con for uh, tabletop gaming uh, enthusiasts. Al, you know the huge draw around Comic-Con, very similar for Gen Con. Numbers a bit lower, but the passion is about 5,000 times the amount. Because uh, it is such Magic the Gathering was created by Richard Garfield. Amazing. Uh, released in 1993 by Wizards of the Coast, now a subsidiary of Hasbro. Yes. So Wizards of the Coast would later go on to buy and acquire TSR. TSR is the company that used to own, um, or that did own at the time, Dungeons & Dragons, Correct. the intellectual property rights. So Wizards of the Coast, at the time, was just beginning, began its sort of big marketing push at Gen Con. And the cards they had printed, which was the first run of cards, did not make it in time for the first two days of Gen Con. The con ends on Sunday. And they were begging people to stay for Sunday. They had the booth set up for the first two days and nothing to show for it. A couple of people stuck around and the magic cards were delivered on Sunday. And of course, Magic the Gathering became the unbelievable global phenomenon that we know today because of those few fans. But they bought Dungeons & Dragons and saved it from obscurity um, as Wizards of the Coast. And that led to the beautiful Dungeons & Dragons renaissance of 2010s and the late aughts, which was a direct antecedent of our current topic, Stranger Things. I firmly believe, I firmly believe, and I don't like Magic the Gathering, and I think everyone who plays it is terrible. Um, I firmly believe that Magic the Gathering has very significantly affected American culture in a way that is bizarre. So how do you think that's going to impact Stranger Things? Well, it is from a very bizarre, from, from quite an, in, in a chain of events, it is the reason that Stranger Things exists, I think even. It is a huge cause of the 80s nostalgia that exists today in the culture. Um, and, of course, I'm a, as a connoisseur of fine culture, I'm very excited to see the um, continued efforts of Maya Hawke on screen. I thought she was great Ooh, in the latest Quar so Tarantino film. I thought she was great um, in the ice cream shop in Stranger Things in the latest season. I'm very excited to see it continue. I am interested in their move away from the Halloween-y like um, theming of the, the previous seasons, which I believe is mentioned in the article that was sent around. Uh, I think it's a Hollywood Reporter interview that the, yes, uh, they did. Brothers. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's interesting. I, I wonder how long they can maintain, you know, as a season that is moving well beyond, I think it's intended as a show that's moving well beyond its intended, um, lifespan, how long can the eighties pastiche that they really rely on, um, sort of remain as robust and engaging as it has been throughout the three seasons. Pastiche. Goddamn brother. Uh, Al, your thoughts? 
Um, I think because of how vague he was, uh, I'm I'm thinking that that means we're gonna get a Stranger Things movie. Interesting. Yeah, I think uh, season four will be uh, four I think seasons will be a, in a movie. It'll be four seasons in a movie. Yeah, I I don't think we can we go past season four in the traditional sense. I think it's either a limited series or a movie to follow. Um, it it makes sense, and it will get people like pretty excited for. Um, I mean, it'll be like a cultural event for Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. Stranger Things already is one. A Stranger Things movie. I mean, we saw what the um, what um, El Camino did for, for Breaking Bad fans. Yeah, huge numbers, right? So didn't have a great lasting effect, but huge numbers initially. No. No, but the, mean, Stranger, the Stranger Things one would because you get the end of an era, right? It becomes a global event for that night, and then people are going to just keep talking about it because it'll be it'll go down as one of the, the biggest shows that they've ever had. Al, I, I do have to disagree with you here. I think if we've learned anything from our long-form study of American media culture, if you don't have six seasons and a movie, you will, in fact, never make a lasting impact on the media landscape. However, don't, to, don't, to don't tell that to Chuck. To wit, I will say that Netflix has had a hard time going past, you know, four seasons. You look at how huge of an impact that Orange is the New Black had in its initial run, and then towards its sixth or seventh season, uh, even before that, was completely defanged and meant nothing. When that show ended, it ended with a instead of a bang. Uh, same thing with House of Cards. little different story because of Kevin Spacey. But even then, it was still like after that fourth season, it just kind of just was meh, whatever. Uh, it was it did not have that resonance. Of course, Robin Wright, everyone wants to talk about her performance in that final season because supposedly it was amazing. I did not watch it, so I can't say it firsthand. I I'm wondering if Stranger Things, when I said the story is hasn't ended, I wonder in some respects if uh, the series will take that Doctor Who approach where you will have like audio stories. Um, and and the, Doctor Who has had an amazing run with audio stories. They just got Chris Eccleston to come back to the Doctor Who role for the first time forever in a role he said he would never really go back to, it, supposedly. Um, those are huge successes. And you're seeing a lot of uh, like Audible and a lot of audio stories, like The Sandman was just redone recently, Neil Gaiman's uh, iconic comic book, for Audible and audio uh, purposes. So I wonder if that will be a way they go. And the saying the story hasn't ended yet, or maybe there'll be some spin-off shows. Um, I think uh, season two, we can all agree, well, at least I will say, that season two was not as strong as season one. Season one is still the best season, in my opinion. Season three, I thought was really great. Uh, it's been a long time, so you know, for some people, it's out of sight, out of mind. But it it got a crazy amount of views. A Stranger Things is a reason I resubscribed to Netflix in the first place. I was an original person getting the DVDs sent to me, then canceled for a number of years and then re-upped because of Stranger Things. I think, Al, like your thing of uh, a fourth season and a, maybe a movie is a definite possibility. But I think that they're, Netflix is going to try and milk some alternate series or there will be alternate series spinoffs in some form uh, from Stranger Things. And when the Duffer Brothers said, we know what's going to happen, like I could see your theory of like uh, a movie definitely happening. But being a long movie, like Irishman style movie. Mm. And I guess I'll ask this final question to you guys. 
is the Stranger Things fandom? Is it for the force? Let's just look at the fourth season for right now, and then we'll talk about beyond. Is it there? Do you guys think it's there? Has this? Have we moved past that critical mass that that like it's in the it's like a cultural event, or are we still there for this series? Christian, I'll go to you first. Yeah, no, I, I do think um, the Maya Hawk talent infusion was a huge boon for them. I do think that a lot of still very interested. I think there's also an understanding that a stranger thing, a moment to write and to, and to produce. Um, there was a little lull between season two and season three, that similar lull we're seeing now. And I think everyone is going to be, I think a fourth season will be a breath of fresh air after this pandemic and the dearth of content that will come from it because all production on pretty much everything. So I think a fourth season is going to be a welcome um, addition. If anything, I think it will be probably the most watched to date. Al? Uh, for sure, I believe. For sure, like the four, 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 number four, sure. I loved the last season of Strange Things. I, I know, I know, people had some issues with um, um, David Harbour's uh, character's turn, mm-hmm. kind of being a, a giant douchebag in in season three. I thought a fashion it was, icon. Oh, yeah. He looked great. No he looked great. I, I still have not gotten that shirt yet, and I'm very it's, disappointed it's, in myself. It's a goddamn shame that you've never gotten that shirt. I might just buy it for this year. How yeah. do you feel? I just I have a question. As a young child, um, mm. two fathers on At the least podcast. 22, but okay. how, how did you feel about um, David Harbour's portrayal of a dad just trying his best? <laughs> did you feel it was accurate? I felt seen. I, I felt I seen, felt, as the kids yeah. would say. Yeah, same. I'm not that much of a dick, but I felt seen in some respects. Fashion-wise, definitely. As <laughs> I still wear cargo shorts on the regular. But, um, listen, they serve so many purposes. And uh, wearing my wallet in my back pocket definitely messes with my back. That's how old I am. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, I definitely felt that was a bit, like, at points it was a bit of a radical departure for Hopper. Like, he was so angry. But I felt they kind of explained it at the end with the letter. Where he was just like, I was out of my element. I was so scared, and I love you so much, and I'm really sorry. Like, I, to me, I'm just like, wow. I and I'm not gonna lie, because I'm not shy about my emotions. I cried at the end of that because that definitely touched uh, moments of my personal life with my own dad. So I'm just like, I'm just like, oh fuck, this I'm totally seen. Like, I definitely felt that, but like. Yeah, it was it was a bit of a departure for Hopper. Like I think they leaned too much into to an almost unrealistic standpoint. Like if I heard, had heard him scream George like he was going to have a heart attack one more time, I'm like it was too much. And it Agreed. was the word Joyce, by the way. So went on the ride. Yeah, I, no, you 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 nailed it. Oh, I don't know. Um, but for me, I look at season four. I'm so excited for season four. Like Christian said, I think like after everything that's happened, if we see a full Stranger Things trailer, we're all going to be like, yes, this is I, I just miss this so much. And we're all going to watch it in a weekend. And uh, and hopefully we're all going to love it. Um, but they have to wrap it up. I don't think this is a show you can milk for too long because it's just like the cast is getting a lot older. And who knows how long it's going to be. Would I hate, would I hate a old, like, 
a revisit to this, like a you know, it part two, like where the all the kids get back together when they're older. No, I wouldn't hate that at all because I think they have great chemistry. Do uh, you think season four of Stranger Things will be an adult cast, Bill Hader as one of the children in Stranger Things? You mean, and is it's he going to be Finn? Wol- I mean, is he going to be Finn Wolfhard again? Yeah, that makes perfect yeah, sense. Absolutely. If they end the season with like a random end credit sequence with grown-up versions of all that, it would be everyone would be dying for the next for that whatever that next season is. They would be because if you were able to cast that, and it's basically the cast of it again uh, in part two, and like you were able to cast a lot of that again, uh, like as adults, like and I, I, I would, I feel like that's a great piece we could do on the site. It would be huge. It would be like people would be clamoring for it. Hundred percent, and especially if Bill Hader did Finn Wolfhardic, and Jessica Chastain was a lot. Talking about fashion icons, Phil Wolfhart, um, Finn Wolfhart is uh, Yves Saint Laurent brand ambassador. Good for him. Just a little tidbit. Hey man, he you guys, great. you guys got similar hairstyles, so what can I tell you? Well, I modeled mine after his. So hey, listen, so. That is the episode for this week. Um, I think a lot of us are either drunk or need me and, or some of us need to go to bed. Al. Uh, so let's wrap this one up. Christian, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on, man. It's been way too long since we talked. Uh, I've wanted to get you on this podcast for a long time. So I'm glad we finally did it. You, you were an amazing guest. You followed up one of our favorite guests of all time beautifully where can people find you on social media where can people find your work like promote yourself my friend thank you bill uh let me first say what an honor and a pleasure it was to be here with you two gentlemen am i offended that instead of moving closer to home you indeed chose to interview an internationally acclaimed rock star before me a much easier get i mean that is for the viewer uh i guess the listener to decide um Indeed, um, I'm not um, extremely active on any social media. I would prefer that you instead uh, follow the popbreak.com where much of my writing can be found. Um, and if not there, then you may you may go to my Instagram, which features um, a lot of great information and a lot of really good selfies of me, uh, which is Christian underscore Bischoff. My Twitter uh, has almost nothing on it. But thank you all for your time and attention. Uh, Christian, you, you're also, uh, I know you did a lot of great charity work uh, for Black Lives Matter earlier this year. Uh, any other charities that you would like to promote or put out there for people that be checking out or any movements people that you want to be checking out? Absolutely, Bill. I would love to plug very quickly uh, for the Guarls. It's F-O-R space T-H-E space G-W-O-R-L-S. It's a black trans collective in new york city that is funding um gender affirming surgeries and uh various livelihood funds for uh black trans people in new york city it is money that is going straight into the pockets of black trans people on the ground there's no overhead costs um it's a really really amazing organization i i I think that everyone should donate to them open your wallet open your purse and Give money where money is needed. Mutual aid and direct action are extremely important at this time. We will put a link to that 
in the episode description when it drops on Friday. Because uh, that's something we have tweeted, uh, a cause we have tweeted about, tweeted about in the past and love to keep promoting. Al, I know no concert photos, man. I know. But where can people find you on social media? Where do uh, people want to hire you for anything? Oh, hold? yeah. Do that. Um, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find my contact information via both of those. Uh, at Al Manorino with multiple ends, I believe, still. Uh, yeah. Your name didn't change. It has not. No. Not since the last time I checked. Um, if you just want stuff about wrestling and retweets of pop break stuff i am at bodkin writes w-r-a-t-e-s of course find this podcast past episodes apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, anchor spotify please check it out we'd love for you to do that and if you have if you have not listened to episode 21 special guest tommy siegel uh it is one of the best things that's happened to me personally during quarantine it was Absolutely. such a fun um fun couple hours uh that we spent with tommy uh talking about his new book his upcoming album which uh bill has nothing but great things to say that's so good uh, it's so very great good. um yeah listen to that episode and um you know talk about it rate re- rate review and subscribe to i'll just just very quickly checking in, I just want to remind everyone that you are actually on the air with the guest of uh, episode 22, who does feel neglected and defended that you're plugging episode 21 on the same episode. Bill, why, Bill why did you not end his part of the call already, is what I'm asking. <laughs> I, I fucking drank half a fucking man. I mean, what do you oh. want from me? Uh, <laughs> like, I also don't know technology very well. Please. Uh, Rate, review, and subscribe to Socially Distance on your favorite podcasting app so you can listen to episodes like this one with Christian. Yes. Check out the At Pop Pluto Break. TV. Pluto TV sponsored the pod. Oh, God. I would <laughs> Please. Love that. Check out every single day. Check out thepopbreak.com. We are writing about TV, movies, music, comic books, pro wrestling every single day. We also have a ton of podcasts out there. We have Pop Break TV, which you can find like this podcast on. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. Just type in Pop Break TV. Check us out on Twitter at popbreak.com, all spelled out, forward slash popbreak.com, all spelled out, on Facebook, at the Pop Break, on Instagram. Um, for me personally, like I said, I have the Lovecraft Country review that's up. I'm going to be talking about Hard Knocks. That's on HBO. Um, and I will be on the Cinema Joe's podcast talking about Point Break and uh, a ton of other shit I've done. So yes, for Christian Bischoff, who is got the corn sweats right now, for Al Manorino, who's just got the regular sweats right now, and for Bill Bodkin, who is the alcohol sweats right now, thank you for joining us for the 22nd episode of the Socially Distanced Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>